Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, dispelling myths about artificial intelligence. I think that there's a lot of fear and confusion around AI. Like, what is AI, right? So when I think about it, I think about it as, can a computer or a machine replicate a mind? But what's a mind? Are we talking about a human mind or an animal mind? Well, let's say we just contain it to human mind, right? Well, are we talking about a four-year-old mind or a 50-year-old mind who's a neurosurgeon? Those are very different brains. We're now joined by Becky Fair. She's CEO of Thresher, a startup here in the D.C. region that's addressing a big problem. How do you take lots of data and actually make sense of it? Becky, thanks for joining us. Well, the problem of texts and words and how to make sense of it all, how is Thresher addressing that problem? Uh, well, we started actually with a, a problem that's pretty um, uh, concrete, so let me describe that and I'll give you a sense. So my partner, Dr. Gary King, who's a professor up at Harvard, he was trying to reverse engineer Chinese government censorship of Chinese social media. China tightly regulates its uh, internet space. And he was really interested in modeling what was going on. The problem is that the Chinese netizens themselves were using code words to hide from the Chinese government. And so when Gary and his team of researchers went to collect the data to model, they were missing part of the conversation. The example I give is uh, the word eye field. Doesn't mean anything in English or in Chinese, but if you add a line to each of the characters for eye and field, it becomes the word for freedom. So people could say, I want more eye field in China, when really they were talking about freedom. It would fool the automated keyword filters, um, but Chinese readers could understand it from the context and the language. Um, the problem, of course, is that Finding those words at scale over hundreds of thousands or millions of social media posts is really hard. So he created this computer-assisted approach to surfacing these rare words, and um, we've turned that into a, a tool that we can apply to all sorts of language problems. People are very tribal, and they come up with words, not even code words, that have different meaning, different contexts. We see that, for example, in the whole issue of reproductive rights, right? Yep, exactly. The words pro-life, pro-choice, right? You're talking about the same thing, but it's totally different language. Does it, is the issue that the current technologies that are out there, I don't want to say they're dumb, but in some ways they're dumb. They're, they're not very good at, at identifying where a word is being used as a meme or in some sort of way. And that's what your technology is getting at, right? Yeah, a lot of the tech today is doing a great job at a lot of the standard language. Think um, the Googles of the world um, training all of their models against Wikipedia. So if you talk like Wikipedia, they're going to do a great job at understanding what you're doing. But there's a lot of rare stuff. Humans are creative. We create words all the time. You've got teenagers, think of the language that they use. It's hard to understand even what they're talking about sometimes. Or people try to be funny, and they talk about things in ways you might not think. And there's some other sort of just biases we have as humans in understanding this stuff, where um, in terms of something called a cognitive bias called partless cueing. Uh, remember that idea when you something's on the tip of your tongue? Yeah. You can't think of it? Mm -hmm. um, that's your brain working so that you're not overloaded every time you think of something that's associated, say, with a bottle of water. You want to stay focused. But if you try to think then of all the creative words that people might be using to describe something, that same function that keeps you focused will prevent you from thinking broadly. So I lived overseas for a long time. And my experience was that even if you share the same words, the contextual meaning was often very different. For example, my British friends will talk. I'll never forget my first day there. Uh, one of my new friends at college said, right, I'll knock you up in the morning. And I thought, well, that's rather <laughs> odd, but it meant I'll wake you. Right, and I exactly. didn't know that at the time. So I find I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what people are thinking. 
spending time overseas as an American, didn't you find that you spent a lot of time trying to figure out where people were coming from? Certainly. I mean, there's everything from the language they use that, um, that like just the example you give is a great one. Um, and I think that did open my mind to understanding why this is so valuable, because understanding and communication is really hard. It's something that we as humans struggle with, let alone getting computers involved as we start talking about artificial intelligence. So we're really looking at that hard space where, uh, where um, people are trying to communicate. Um, and even though it seems obvious, they're not, they're not getting things across or people are trying to hide and it's relatively easy to hide or fool computers because we are so much more creative, at least for the time being. I also get the sense when I talk with other people involved in artificial intelligence that one of the dangers of our society is that without the level of contextual understanding that humans have about words and, and symbols, AI may just sort of vanillaize everything. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of fear and confusion around AI. Like, what is AI, right? So when I think about it, I think about it as the, um, can a computer or a machine replicate a mind? But what's a mind? Are we talking about a human mind or an animal mind? Well, mm. let's say we just contain it to human mind, right? Well, are we talking about a four-year-old mind or a 50-year-old mind who's a neurosurgeon? Those are very different brains, right? Yeah. So I have a funny example where... Um, of this sort of playing itself out. I have a, a dog, small little mixed terrier. He's black and white, and he's got his markings look remarkably like a cow. So I'm walking the dog one day, and this little boy is playing basketball with his dad. He's probably three or four. He says, Dad, it's a cow dog. I've never seen a cow dog before. And I, I laugh because we chuckle every time a computer can't recognize the difference between, say, a chihuahua and a blueberry muffin. If your listeners haven't seen that example, they can Google it. It's pretty funny. But here's this little four-year-old who's got these two categories, cow and dog, and he can't figure out which one to place them in. You can imagine a computer making that same mistake. Now, is that computer then artificially intelligent? Well, if you compare it to the four-year-old, it is. But maybe not for me, who knew what I was walking, or the dad who knew what was going on. So this is an example of why it's so hard and, and hard to define that sort of thing. I was thinking to myself that we were going to put ourselves in the brain of the dog who was humiliated being compared <laughs> to a cow. Probably that too. The last thing that strikes me before I let you go is I know you spent many years also mentoring and working with CEOs. Do you find that this issue of finding the understanding and, and the contextual meaning of things, isn't that a key skill for every entrepreneur or CEO to have? You know, I think when people talk about communication, they're often talking about the giving of information, the telling of information. But I think as important or if not more important is the listening component of communication. And I think as a, a CEO, there's so much listening that goes on and you have to be really good at listening, certainly from your customers, right? What do they really want and what do they need from your employees? What motivates them? What drives them? How do you get them kind of to where you're going? And then all the other sorts of people you run into, your investors and your mentors and all these other sorts of things. So I think, yeah, communication is is um, really important. So the bottom line here is the existential search for truth and meaning is everywhere. <laughs> That's right. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. And Thresher is going to make it all happen. More importantly, uh, a very interesting company. Congratulations on your progress. Becky Ferris, Thanks. CEO of Thresher, joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. Today's podcast is brought to you by Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, MCEDC, helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. The future starts here. Go to thinkmoco.com today. 
A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman, Barbara Ulrich, and Candace Pye. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.